welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Very nicely done, Faith. Thanks for lifting our hearts today before we open God's Word. We are in Luke 22 once again as we turn our Bibles there. And our narrative picks up at about verse 54. This is immediately after Jesus is apprehended by the authorities in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was betrayed by Judas and now Luke in the very next scene takes us to Jesus being repeatedly denied by Peter. So is this designed to serve as a comparison or a contrast, Peter and Judas? Well, before attempting to answer that, let's read our passage together. I'll begin right at verse 54, and this describes the behavior of Peter before the cock crowed. Having arrested Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest, but Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them, and a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately while Peter was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him, and they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. The word of the Lord. The parallel accounts of Peter's denial given in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 record Peter as also cursing and swearing, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about, and I do not know this man. One of Peter's finest hours... Well, our typical response is usually no, but let me read you a quote from Philip Riken. I quoted him a couple weeks ago. Again, he is the president of Wheaton College, previously served as a pastor in Philadelphia, took over from, if you, if you know the name, John Montgomery Boyce. Uh, Riken took over from him in his pulpit when Boyce died. He highly respected voice and evangelicalism. He offers an illuminating uh, perspective that illustrates the benefit of examining 
diverse views on a passage. Um, Most tend to severely condemn Peter here. Uh, We should remember uh, Jesus had just been violently seized on Mount Olivet by the Roman cohort and their commander and people bearing clubs and swords and torches. The context also implies the interrogation and abuse of Christ had already ensued during this period that Peter denies Christ. So consider how closely Peter stood to that danger, as I quote Riken as saying, Peter was following at a distance, but at least he was still following, which most of the disciples weren't. The others had already gone into hiding, but the bravest of all the disciples was still following Jesus as a good disciple should. This was one of Peter's best moments, says Riken, right up there with walking on water and confessing Jesus as the Christ. Peter wanted to go farther than anyone else down the road that Jesus walked to the cross. That's pretty good stuff. That's a good quote. It offers balance as we read this passage. You know, if you recall, immediately after Peter had confessed Jesus as the Christ, he began, uh, Jesus began telling his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 21, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and to be raised up on the third day. Of course, we know... Peter responded, God forbid it, Lord. And then he earned a stern rebuke, the sternest of rebukes from Jesus. But next, Christ immediately turns to all of the disciples and declared, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. Folks, Peter was trying to go all the way with Jesus. All the way to the cross. Uh, yet for some reason, Peter serves as a convenient punching bag uh, much of the time today for denying Jesus. Uh, I do wonder, under identical circumstances, what perhaps my response may have been Uh, That night, that very same night. Peter, he was an incredibly courageous man. That is not a fault. That's not a fault. It's not an error. His error was overconfidence. He was overly confident, very self-confident. He liked to crow. Peter liked to crow. When Jesus would ask the disciples a riveting question, Peter was usually the first to speak out and reply. He he was very impulsive. He was kind of a hard learner, in a way, uh, an an incredible leader he became. Yet he tended to rely on self. He was confident in his flesh and what he could do. And in Matthew 26, verse 33, that that reveals just a, a few hours earlier, Peter had boasted at the Lord's Supper in the in the presence of everyone. He said, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. When harmonizing the four gospel accounts, they indicate that Peter dared to repeat this same declaration multiple times 
on this evening, each time Jesus had to remind him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Matthew 26 records Peter as countering Jesus with these words. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Boy, Peter loved Jesus. Peter loved him. He was way too cocky. He was. Uh, Peter began crowing long before the rooster on this night. He crowed too early. Uh, We know pride goes before a fall. Do you want to hear a really good parallel illustration? Some of you are new, so you need to hear this. About four years ago, a certain associate pastor, because of his youth and his strength, was overconfident that his flag football team could beat the senior pastor's football team. That was on Super Bowl Sunday at flag football. He started crowing about three weeks early, if you remember. He said, I think, quote, you can either play on Pastor John's team or you can play on the winning team. (laughs) He he lost badly. Uh, Two ambulances raced to our church that Sunday afternoon And Pastor Weiler watched the actual Super Bowl that evening from a hospital bed in tradition. What did did doctors determine? They determined that he had a problem with his heart. They did. They did. Uh, True story. Somehow, no matter how old it gets, I never tire of sharing that illustration. (laughs) Surgeons fixed the problem. The next year, he did not utter a word before game day. Instead, he victoriously led his team in triumph over mine. Actually, he put me into retirement. It was, yeah, it was, he forced me into retirement. Now, folks, that, that, of course, is friendly fun and games. Friendly boasting, fun and games. Uh, uh, we, we have a great time with stuff like that. Uh, but when it comes to things spiritual, things that are serious, momentous decisions in life, Scripture is replete with warnings against over confidence. One of my favorite quotes in scripture, 1 Kings chapter 20, it derides overconfidence. Uh, King Hadad of Aram, he, he was boasting in his superior forces with which he had surrounded Jerusalem. Uh, he was going to attack, he was boasting. He mocked Israel's king, saying, your silver and your gold are mine. Your most beautiful wives and children are also mine, says Hadad. Give them to me. Well, a king of Israel, in a nutshell, sent word back by messenger to the king of Aram, saying, I I cannot consent. I cannot consent. And Ben-Hadad then swore an oath. He swore it to his false gods saying that by the next day, those in Israel bowing to him would number like the sand in Samaria. Fistfuls of sand in Samaria. Translation, uh, I'm going to whoop you. To this, the king of Israel replied, remember this one, let not him who girds on his armor boast like he who takes it off. Translation, it's easy to boast of victory before the battle, 
before you put the armor on, it's wiser to wait until it's over and you're taking the armor off. Uh, Ben-Hadad's superior forces were routed on the very next day. The Apostle Peter, he was overconfident. Overconfident in the flesh. He, He thought by his own strength he could follow Jesus all the way to the cross. He even boasted, saying, I will never fall away. Uh, That was before the cock crowed on that morning. Uh, Peter needed to learn humility. He he truly did. Uh, Discover that he, like everybody else, like every single one of us, must rely wholly on God's grace, God's mercy. We we can't bear our own cross. We, We can't go all the way alone. Nor can we serve the kingdom of God in our own strength. Uh, To serve God in the flesh, that generates pride. Pride in what you think you can do or what you can accomplish apart from His great mercy. Uh, But the inherent weakness of flesh, that's epitomized by these three denials of Peter. Even he couldn't go all the way. You know, the passage, it isn't all about roosters. You know, it isn't a mystery about the three times that he denied Jesus. It's just that he repeatedly denied Jesus uh, when, there was, uh, when there was a threat, when the flesh was facing persecution. He again and again denied that he did not know the man. Peter in the flesh repeatedly failed. Repeatedly failed. Uh, This is a story about a man who was supremely confident, supremely confident in his own ability, who had to be humiliated first to become useful to God. So God broke Peter. He broke him. And and a crushing of the human pride, a crushing of pride, that supplies an image of true grace in this story. That God would do such a thing. It is God's grace that he did not permit Peter to succeed in himself. God permitted Peter to experience failure. To experience shame and humiliation. Even in front of others. Even in front of Christ himself. So that he could learn to trust solely on God. You know, this story documents the contrast between Peter before and the Peter after the cock crowed. Major difference. Major difference. Peter followed Jesus as far as any man could in the flesh. It wasn't far enough. It wasn't far enough. It's the best Peter could do. Here it is. I'll give you a summary. The best that Peter could do in the flesh. As seen in verse 57, he became terrified by a little servant girl. And he said, woman, I do not know him. In verse 58, after being identified as one of Jesus' disciples, Peter replied, man, I am not. And in verse 60, after exposed as certainly being one of those who had been with Christ, who had walked with our Savior, he said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That's how close they were. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. 
you know, in his flesh before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit was poured out and in a face of physical persecution, Peter refused to even acknowledge that he had a relationship with Christ. The Gospel of Mark tells us that he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know this man who you are talking about. Think about that. You know, to curse and to swear doesn't mean Peter here began to use foul language. It's actually worse. It indicates he began to swear to the people taking an oath, an oath before God, um, even to the point of placing himself under God's curse to assure them that he did not know the man. He was solemnly testifying under an oath to God that he did not know Jesus. You know, for, for a man who pledged to die with Christ just a few hours earlier, uh, to now be denying by swearing an oath he doesn't know the man, uh, the humiliation doesn't get much worse. When push comes to shove, you know, this is about the best effort that the flesh can give. It's about the best we can do, the best we can offer in bearing our own cross. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16 verse 18, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly, than divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 29 verse 33, A man's pride will bring him low but a humble spirit will obtain honor. In all of this, the Lord does not deny Peter. Doesn't deny him. In grace, by God's grace, he crushes Peter's pride into the dust. Pulverizes it. And the result is going to make Peter useful for the kingdom of God. God has not discarded Peter. Uh, The Lord's chastening is actually preparing Peter to become a shepherd of God's flock. This same Peter is going to write an epistle in the future later on, offering this word of experience to other shepherds. This is what Peter writes. Tells them, shepherd the flock of God according to the will of God. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Peter gets it. Peter gets it. Uh, they're, they're words of a man speaking from experience. His pride, his self-esteem, it had been crushed. It had been crushed, finally making Peter useful for the kingdom. That, that is the loving grace of God. It is that he would crush our pride that we might be useful to him. It isn't just for shepherds either. All service to Christ must flow through humility. It doesn't hurt when that humility is forged in a crucible of embarrassment. You know, God doesn't leave you there. God does not leave you 
there. Can you imagine anything more humiliating than vehemently denying Christ when He's looking at you? And God doesn't discard Him. God doesn't throw Him away. God doesn't leave you there denying Christ even by swearing an oath and Jesus looking straight at you. Well, the book of Acts assures us that God does not leave Peter. He doesn't abandon Peter when Peter wavers. God offers a new beginning. C.S. Lewis rightly said, Though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. It's not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us and whatever cost to Him. That's why, God, why Jesus went to the cross. Think about it. Do you feel like you've ever failed God? Have you ever been humiliated in the way that you've acted? Have you ever embarrassed yourself before family and friends after professing faith in Christ and then coming to embarrass yourself looking like a pagan unbeliever? You aren't alone. God builds humility. He restores you. God doesn't discard His precious elect. He brings us back to Him that we would be useful to him. You know, many of the greatest preachers of history, probably all, I don't know. The more you read about them, you begin to to learn what they experience and go through. But uh, some of the greatest preachers were at some point in their ministry really forcibly embarrassed, forcibly humbled, and the subsequent humility became an instrument in making them useful as God lifted them back up again. Uh, one of great nor- notoriety is, a, is an Anglican preacher named Charles Simeon. You might have heard of him from England. Uh, born the same year uh, of guys uh, the likes of William Pitt and William Wilberforce. He originated from really an, an affluent and an aristocratic family. Very well-to-do. He's a family of privilege. Privileged young man. He had enormous natural talent, enormous courage to declare the gospel, had earned a reputation early on for much fervor for the gospel. When he was appointed minister of Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, England. So this is his first appointment then as a leading minister, lead pastor. Previous to his arrival, the young Charles's reputation for zeal preceded him. We are told the church seated 900, but on his first Sunday, the membership stayed home in protest. He began preaching to visitors who were willing to come in and hear him, but then the pew holders, remember back then they had pews that they, for their family that they had doors on them. The pew holders locked their pews to prevent the visitors from using them. Simeon then placed benches in the aisles. But the church officers came and threw the benches into the churchyard. When he started an evening service, the officers locked him out of the church. Charles Simeon was so much promise. Charles Simeon remained at Trinity Church for 54 years. 
the first 30 of which it is recorded were filled with constant opposition, persecution, and harassment. Remember, you were appointed in those days over a church. It isn't like we do often today in calling a pastor in a democratic sense. You were appointed over a congregation in that day. Um, 30 years of constant opposition and persecution. During the first 14 years, he labored alone. Before he was finally allowed to have an assistant, uh, but he was an object of continuous scorn and ridicule, says his biography. In his early years, he was described as demanding and autocratic. He had to learn love and humility, but the Holy Spirit prevailed and he learned to minister in love. This is the result. In 1832, Simeon commemorated the 50th anniversary of his ministry, and by this time he had either silenced or outlasted all of his critics. There was a harmony in the church. The buildings were being renovated, and the gospel was going forth with power. He'd come a long way from those days when his church officers had locked him out of his own church. Charles Simeon died. On November 13th, 1836, even though it was market day, the town closed all the shops for his funeral. The university canceled all lectures and nearly 2,000 people paid tribute to the man who remained true during 54 years of difficult ministry. The Lord had shaped him. What a path. You know, does your life need to come through a path of renewal and redemption? Do you need to abandon self that you might become useful like Peter? Folks, there there have come many Peters. Many Peters full of zeal and fervor after first meeting Christ who later deny or forgot who called them. You know, what, a, what an embarrassment. What a pain to bear. But God gently welcomes us back through humility into His service. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Peter, Jesus asked a third time, do you love me? Peter was grieved, remembering how he had failed so many times. But Jesus turned to him and said, feed my sheep. You know, folks, everything that God accomplishes through us, everything we do, it's a work of his grace and his mercy. If you are weak, if you have failed, if you have been crushed into dust. God is calling you to return as well. Peter's service to Christ did not begin with the boasting. It began with weeping. We all know what God accomplished through him. So Judas and Peter, a comparison or a contrast, well, it is a striking contrast according to J.C. Ryle who wrote, Quote, remorse can make a man miserable like Judas Iscariot, but it can do no more. It does not lead him to God. 
Repentance, on the other hand, does lead a man to God. He is consciously sorry that a sin has been committed against God, yet hoping in faith that the sin will be forgiven. That's Peter. Therefore, repentance makes a man's heart soft and his conscience tender and shows itself in real turning to a father in heaven, says Ryle. The falls of a graceless profession of Christ are falls from which there is no rising again. That's Judas. But the fall of a true saint always ends up in deep contrition, self-abasement, and amendment of life. An amendment of life. Are you lacking? Have you lost your confidence in self? Maybe, maybe you never had confidence in self. Maybe your life needs an amendment. That's good. That's good. God does not normally use confident people. He uses those who return to Him. Peter would not be useful until after the cock crowed. And Jesus continues to ask each and every one of us today, do you love me? Let's pray.